Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, everybody? Mike Curlin here of the Bases Loaded Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and I'm stoked to be collaborating with Rotoballer again in 2021 with the Bases Loaded Podcast continuing as part of the Rotoballer Radio Network. Since 2013, Rotoballer has been grinding away, providing millions of fantasy baseball fanatics their fix for in-depth MLB analysis and player news. If you haven't heard, Rotoballer's 2021 MLB Draft Kit is live, and all Bases Loaded Podcast listeners can get 10% off Rotoballer's Draft Kit by using the discount code BASESLOADED. That's bases loaded, all one word. Rotoballer is home to number one fantasy pros accuracy ranker Nick Mariano. Nick's 2021 rankings and projections are available as part of the Rotoballer draft kit, along with printable cheat sheets, our top draft sleepers, more than 300 2021 player outlooks, and all of this fantasy baseball goodness from Rotoballer is available for 10% off with the discount code bases loaded. Just go to rotoballer.com slash bases loaded and get your draft kit today. Of course, right after I published the episode, we had some news break in terms of uh, stuff that actually affects lineups. So a couple of things I want to update real quick, and then obviously you'll, you can fast forward through it as we get through the podcast. But Nico Horner was optioned at, like, at past midnight my time. So I uh, wanted to make sure we get that out there. It was trending, and every beat reporter was saying it looked like it was Nico Horner's job. And then he gets optioned. So David Bodie and Eric Sogard look like they're making the roster, both of which have done okay in spring, obviously, both of which actually done pretty good. So fire up your Bodie shares. Unfortunately, Horner is not breaking camp with the team. Same thing with Bradley Zimmer. I actually missed on the Indians, so I guess I'll touch on them real quick. I forgot to talk about the Indians. Um, basically, long story short, we know the lineup. Top to bottom should be Hernandez. Actually, let me pull that one up real quick because... Again, didn't talk about him. wasn't planning on talking about him right now, but why not since I'm doing the update, right? So the, the Indians right now, the Cleveland baseball team, I should say, uh, you have Cesar Hernandez at the top, followed by J-Ram, Eddie Rosario, Fran Mill. Josh Naylor seems to have earned that job. Jake Bowers has been confirmed as the first baseman, of course, because he has no options left. Bradley had one. That's all this is. Adam um, Rosario should get more run at center field now because Zimmer was optioned. And... It looks like it's going to be a Luplo and Gamble platoon in center. Luplo batting against the lefties, Gamble against the righties. So that's going to happen. But I'd say Ahmed Rosario gets that job sooner than later. Just needs to get some reps in there and really get that fielding under control. Jimenez is going to probably bat ninth. So we just figured that one out as well. Indians, And then, of course, the Twins, I actually forgot to mention. Rooker, looks I that would be my guess of who gets the starting gig with uh, Kirilov sent down. And that's another team that, again, we kind of have an idea of what to expect there. You're going to, we're going to have 
Mitch, uh, Mitch, Max Kepler, most likely leading off, followed by Josh Donaldson, Nelson Cruz, Jorge Polanco, Miguel Sano, Byron Buxton, and then probably Garver and Jeffers mixed in there sometimes. And this is a lineup that's going to change a lot. So I wouldn't even put much stock into specific spots, but know that you'll see Kepler towards the top, Donaldson and Cruz towards the you know top and middle. Polanco can fluctuate between being a leadoff guy or being a four-hole hitter. That's pretty much like what you have to expect with the Merkers probably going to hit towards the bottom of that lineup, but I do think it's Rooker's job. And one last thing I also mentioned was Moran would be platooning with Frazier, but Frazier opted out of his deal. So that platoon is no longer happening. So apologize. This is a quick little update. Now you can go ahead and uh, give the rest of the show a listen again. Appreciate it and enjoy. Is loaded and one out. Oh my Central. God! Deep to right field, way up there and way out of here. Second deck walk off home run. Grand slam. Welcome in everyone to episode 149 of the Bases Loaded Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host Mike Curland. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. And we are days, just days away from start of the season Whew. sigh of relief honestly it's been um quite a busy spring the podcasts have slowed down because i've been so busy with the spring training stuff but i'm gonna try to get out a few last minute pods because i even i have a draft the day of and the day before spring training ends so or the day before the season i should say in the day of even the day even day of opening day so i'm gonna get out a few last minute pods but this one i wanted to get out because we have the first weekend of fab running for some leagues we have one of the bigger, if not the biggest draft weekend of the year coming out this weekend. And what I'm going to do is go through every single team tonight, all 30 teams, discuss their lineup, some of the implications in terms of fantasy production that players might have, depending on where they're slotted in the lineup, some trends. And believe it or not, there's still some things on some teams that we have no idea what to expect. So let's just get started. Again, I'm using my lineup tracking uh, tool that I created. It's on my Twitter. You can find all my, it's pinned to my Twitter. If you want to follow along, if you want to just check it out, but again, we're gonna start. We're gonna start with the NL East, and we'll start right at the top with the Braves. The Braves, I just—they've been showing their hand for quite some time, so there's not much to really get into. I mean, you know, you have Acuna at the top. Albie's batting second, which has been confirmed essentially again all season. Spring training long, he's been doing so. Freeman third, Azuna fourth, Darno fifth. I guess that's worth discussing just for a moment because we saw how good Darno was in 2020. And regardless of how, I mean, yes, he's going to regress a little bit, but he's still going to bat fifth in this Braves lineup. And that spot is a tremendously valuable spot. I see little reason to doubt Darno in terms of like what he can bring as a fantasy producing catcher, because with the catcher position being as kind of crappy as it is every year, Darno should be all but a sure thing in terms of playing time for that team. And he's just a guy you can depend on. You slot him in, set it, forget it, move move on with your day. Followed by Darno, followed after Darno, I should say, Swanson. You know what you're getting there. Riley batting seventh hinders on hinders his upside or potential, but we, we're expecting Riley to take a, a, a step forward this year. Again, batting seventh isn't ideal, but you're gonna get a guy who's gonna hit upwards of 30 home runs, probably get like 90 RBI because the back end of that line maybe 80 ish, but you know. Um, 
he's going to move up that lineup if he hits well enough. And again, there's injury potential and all that. So you just never know. But, you know, spring, he hasn't really been that great so far prior again. And the stats I'm referring to are prior to Friday's games. This is Friday night. I'm recording this and Friday morning. The stats I pull are from the day before. So they're not updated through Friday's games. But entering Friday's games, he had eight strikeouts, batting 226, but he has two home runs. So we've come to know Riley to be that kind of guy, the almost the, the three true outcomes type of guy. I think there's still some batting average. I can't even call it upside with Riley, maybe like 250, 260. But we saw him again take that step forward. The swing and miss he's gotten better at. So hopefully, hopefully he can get going here as the season gets going. Because I know he missed a little bit of time in spring training as well. So that should be something that should hopefully work itself out. Pache is going to be rounding out this team. Because remember, this is the NL. So there's a pitcher hitting, unfortunately. But the thing about Pache is he struggled pretty badly in spring. And I'm wondering if. NCR taking start and Pache goes down to the alt site or minor leagues to get a little more seasoning because batting 172 with nine strikeouts and 34 plate appearances ain't gonna cut it. He has no stolen bases this spring, one home run, surprisingly. Sorry, no home runs. I have the wrong stats. He has no home runs, one stolen base. So at least he's still okay. So he did steal base. I apologize. Pache stole base, no home runs. And you're not exactly drafting Pache for the power, you're drafting him for the speed. But batting eighth, yes, he'll run there. But you're talking about a loss in plate appearances, like minimal plate appearances, batting eighth. No real path to moving up the lineup because it would take multiple injuries for that to be a thing. And again, he hasn't performed well in spring. So what about NCR today? Let's look what he and I I like the reference but spring training stats when we're talking about position battles. We talked and NCR came into the season with the idea of trying to fight for for center field, but he has performed just as bad, batting 174 with one stolen base, no home runs, like not doing anything with his 27 play appearances either. Pache has gotten the playing time. He's always in the lineup with what I would call the opening day roster in spring. So I'm going to say that Pache wins the job or won the job. And you just got to temper expectations because not only is he entering it, not only is Pache a rookie, but he has some swing and miss to his game. And yes, the speed will be there, but he could be like a real hindrance on that batting average. Moving over to the Marlins. And you have Corey Dickerson leading off, Slang Marte batting second. And the, after those two, it's kind of like <laughs> it's a mix. Like you're seeing a lot of Aguilar and Duval, but you're also seeing Cooper slot in there a lot. And I think Cooper's going to get his between playing right field and playing first base just because I think those three are going to just rotate essentially. Well, Cooper's going to rotate in with those two, those other two guys. But Cooper's looked pretty solid this spring as a whole. I mean, He's batting 382 with a 417 OBP, a couple home runs. The one who hasn't looked all that fantastic is Duvall, batting um, batting 205. Although he does have three home runs, he's striking out a lot. You know, he's 41 play appearances, has nine nine strikeouts, batting 205 with a 220 OBP. Like that's not going to do it. Cooper has outplayed him. I'm fight. I believe Cooper deserves the right field job, but I think Duvall is going to have it. Unfortunately. And then you have Brian Anderson, who's just quietly batting fifth every game. Uh, second base is still a mess. Birdie's been the most des- deserving at this point. But Chisholm, I think, if we're talking about the rookies, the young guys, Chisholm's definitely the guy who has earned it between uh, Isan Diaz and Jazz Chisholm. Jazz has hit 273 with a 351 OBP, 11 strikeouts, but the swing and miss is a well-known thing in his game. But he has three home runs and four stolen bases. So fantasy-wise, there's a lot of power speed here, a lot of intrigue. The guy is just super flashy. The tools are super flashy. The guy has good power plus speed. He's he's going to be a, just as good fantasy producer if he's starting every day. 
The batting average might be a little bit of a hindrance, as we mentioned. With again, it's kind of normal with rookies, but he could be streaky because again, given the strikeouts for Chisholm, the streakiness might happen. But again, very toolsy, power, speed. Like you want that in drafts, you're able to get this, get that late in a Jazz Chisholm, and I think he does have the inside track to the job right now. I think they want to keep Birdie as a super utility type, and Birdie will play plenty. I think he'll play four to five games a week, bouncing around between shortstop, second, and outfield. And then I guess after those top five, because again, Marte and Dickerson are just kind of boring guys. Marte's fallen in drafts after being a second slash third round type of player last year. Stalling Marte, that is. He's hitting 306, has three stolen bases. What I'm really encouraged by are the Marlins' willingness to let their players run this spring. I didn't realize that they were so like open to letting their guys run. And that's really encouraging considering stolen bases are so hard to come by, but maybe the Marlins are a good team to target. Let's see what Dickerson's done if he's stolen any bases. Dickerson, Dickerson isn't much of a base stealer. He stole one base this year. Wow. The Marlins are stealing. That could be a part of their game plan. Be mindful. Let's check out Alfaro. Alfaro actually has good speed. Has he stolen bases? No kidding. Even he has a stolen base. All right. You want your stolen bases. Let's check one last guy in Rojas. Miguel Rojas, another guy that's going to play every day for the Marlins. Has a stolen base and two home runs. Dude, the Marlins are stealing. Oh, man. I'm I'm really liking this. Wow. Okay. Sorry. I'm ca- I was caught off guard because spring training stats don't matter, right? But seeing base, st- seeing stolen bases, that does matter because that shows intent. That shows a team that's probably willing to run. Seeing that stuff is really encouraging because I think it, it, I think that's a tell that the Marlins are going to be a little more aggressive on the base paths. I'm liking this a lot. Sorry. Excuse the excitement there. The enthusiasm, I should say. Wow. Let's move on to the Mets. And the Mets, again, another team we kind of have an idea of what to expect. Brandon Nimmo is almost exclusively let off, regardless of if it's lefty or righty. That could change, obviously, if he can't hit lefties because he has a history of struggling against lefties a little bit. So we'll see how that goes. But as of right now, I'd say Brandon Nimmo, another kind of value in leagues, is set the lead off. Lindor, Conforto, Alonzo, and Dom Smith, I think those guys will follow in that order. But Dom Smith, because of that glove, man, that glove scares me. We could see him lose at bats at the end of games because of defensive replacements. We could see days off. Hopefully the bat keeps him in, but but it's going to be difficult because if there's a fly ball pitcher, I could see I could see Dom Smith being subbed out that day. And it's just it's unfortunate because the dude's bat belongs in the lineup. But Smith is a guy who's a liability in the field. So that's a play. That's something to watch. He's been following drafts a little bit. He's a guy that I still rather just avoid. And it sucks because I think he's going to be a great fantasy producer or could be. But I also just the fact that there are potential issues with playing time in terms of defense and they have the defensive outfielders, you know, the gloves to kind of push them to the side if they had to. That's where the concern comes in for Dom Smith. McNeil is a guy that because he's batting sixth until he moves up. I have little interest. He's a guy that I've always looked at as more of a compiler. Great batting average guy, great on base guy. But he's blocked by a ton of good on base guys and good. And it's just he's almost a, just a product of like batting six is a product of his environment, so to speak. McNeil's a guy that you know what you're getting. He's a roster stabilizer. I think there's a little untapped power there. I know he kind of made an attempt to put add some, but I'm not going to expect much or buy in, to be honest. J.D. Davis kind of just <laughs> is what he is at this point. I think he's going to play just about every day. But another guy that. Between VR, who the glove isn't there, so I don't know why VR would be much of an issue because the bat hasn't been there in spring either. But then you have Guillaume, who defense first type of guy. You've probably seen Guillaume make plays all through spring training, and usually they're on defense. The guy's glove will play. 
there's a good chance again another defensive replacement uh concern another guy who's gonna get days off so they can get Guillermo's glove in there for like a Marcus Stroman who uh does you know end up inducing a lot of uh, ground balls and such so something to watch for JD Davis unfortunately uh, my love for him has dwindled I was a big JD Davis guy last year the bat would play again the Mets are littered with guys who belong as a DH but even if they had one it's not enough for this team that finishes off the lineup with McCann. Um, he's just a back-end catcher one, high-end catcher two type. Uh, I don't know. Not overly exciting, but catcher isn't overly exciting. I think I have him. He's definitely in my top 12, so he's definitely a catcher one for sure. Especially in 15 teamers. He's your, one of your, he's, he's a catcher one. The position is just ugly. Outside of Real Muto, there's like little flashy upside, although I do like Sean Murphy a lot. Another discussion, we'll get to him later. The Nationals... They showed one lineup recently that Victor Robles hit ninth in, and that was with the pitcher batting eighth. So it allowed them to do the whole double leadoff thing. Robles returned to the leadoff spot today. He has let off every single start except for one this offseason. Soto is dealing with a little bit of an injury. Not sure if that's going to hold him back or keep him down a little bit. Starting, starting Castro is dealing with an injury. Both those guys will slot into like the two to three range, and then Castro will slot into the five or six range when they return. But Robles should, be, should lead off. He's done enough i think this spring to hold on to that spot at least entering the season now will that change as the season goes on will he move up and down probably it looks like they want to move him around a little bit they might bat him ninth against righties for a leadoff against lefties that is a possibility but i think robust is going to get the opportunity to hold on to that job full time regardless of lefty or righty at least out the gate he's gonna but his performance will dictate where he ends up in that lineup other than that, again, you have more of the same, the uh, Trey Turner types, Josh Bell, like all these guys are hitting the middle of lineups, Schwarber, Carter Keebum is going to bat bottom of the lineup. I don't think he's done much this spring. Let's look him up, actually, because uh, he's been just not what we've hoped for as a prospect. And yeah, even in spring, 44 play appearances, 15 strikeouts, batting 150. Uh, no home runs, no nothing. Like one double, sorry, two doubles and a triple. Man, he's just... I could see like, I could see Zimmerman playing third base, honestly. It wouldn't surprise me at all because Zimmerman's hit, hitting really well in spring. He's a you know, he's a real likable guy. The clubhouse light loves him, the, the fan base loves him. Zimmerman could be given a little bit of leeway on um, on playing time, maybe at third base, where I think he's played before too. He's just not the third baseman we would hope. You know, we we want keep him to work out. It's just hard to see it working out at this point. Next lineup we're talking about is the Phillies. And again, another lineup that we just know what to expect. Not going to spend much time here. Cutchin, Mick uh, Cutchin, Mick Cutchin leading off. Romuto batting second, Harper third, Hoskins fourth. Hoskins is almost forgotten, but you know what you're going to get 250 batting average, 30 plus home runs, 100 RBI. The dude is just going to do his thing. It should follow by Alec Bohm batting fifth, which Bohm is a guy that he's embracing the RBI role. He, he he's even said it. It's not his game to hit power, so he's not going to try. He's going to just be a polished bat. You might get 20, 25 home runs out of him type of thing, but he's probably going to hit 280 in the process and give you close to 100 RBI. He's going to be solid but boring. He's going to be, again, that roster stabilizer term. He's going to be every bit of it. Might sprinkle in a few steals. We saw him sprinkle in some last year. Maybe he'll give you five this year. And then again, you have Gene Segura, Didi Gregorius, known commodities. It's a solid lineup up and down. And at the at this point, center field, I'm gonna give it my best guess and say Hazley gets it. They want. It sounds like they want Hazley to have it. Uh, Herrera, who was showing early signs of running with it, slowed down tremendously. And I think it's gonna be Hazley who gets it now that since he was able to make a return prior to the start of the season and has had a 
decent spring performance, although it is a smaller sample than most. Moving over to the NL Central, this this Brewers team is just, I honestly don't even know what to make of it. <laughs> Kane should bat in the top of the lineup. Wong should lead off. But Kane's going to get regular days off. JBJ is dealing with, a, I think, a wrist issue at this point. He still hasn't really... He hasn't really played in a few days, so I don't know how serious that is or if that's going to cause him his time. Avisar Garcia, he's had a decent spring, too. I mean, the guy, let's let's look him up as well at this point. A lot of this is on the fly, by the way. I really, like, I really just, <laughs> so much to talk about here. It's I'm just looking a lot of stuff up, so please bear with me. But Garcia, batting 300, 317, 550. The strikeouts have been there this spring, but the power has come with it. Three home runs. Batting 300 in the process, though, with a 550, like I said, 550 slug. So Garcia will get his bat in that lineup because that lineup is kind of anemic after the top four to five. It's it's rough. Christian Yelich has been fantastic. I think we were we all like no one should have doubted Yelich bouncing back. He's a guy that I thought was just going to with no with little doubt in my mind. Too good of a hitter to have struggles like that continue. He's and he's still in his prime. Kisson Hero, I've been fading him openly openly for a while he has 14 strikeouts through through 39 play appearances so the strikeouts are very much a problem but he's back he's turned it around late recently he's batting 243 and with three home runs and stolen base but he's been caught stealing ones i don't know how much see i'm just this is like rugnito door all over again and i don't want to pay a fifth round price tag for rugnito door that's all it is but i think that's the thing that that's his floor that's hero's floor whereas the ceiling we know could be five categories so I get it, but I just I got to see him not have so much swing and miss in his game. That swing and miss is going to cause streakiness too. And we've seen lows and highs this spring already. So we'll see how how it carries into the season and and all that good stuff, but again, just something to monitor. The Cardinals are kind of just the Cardinals. I mean, losing Bader could move Carlson over, which could throw Edmund in the outfield, but they talk about Justin Williams, they have Lane Thomas. These are NL only type of names. Like to give you to give you an idea, I think I'm in a 30 team league with um it's an analyst like best ball dynasty league. I drafted Justin Williams like outside the top 600 or 700 players, so you know it's it's deep. And he's hit 267. He has a home run. He has some you know eight hits in 90. Oh, sorry, 90 and 33 plate appearances. I don't know where I got 90 from. Jeez. Um. <laughs> But yeah, he's been okay. Lane Thomas hasn't really done much either. 212, 12 strikeouts in 36 play appearances. I, I got to think that our guy leading the way is either Justin Williams or John Nagasaki, Nagowski, Nagasaki, Nagowski, John Nagowski. He has nine walks to just three strikeouts, bang 393 over 37 play appearances with a couple home runs. Spring stats only matter when there's a job to be had, and there's a job to be had right now. That's a position to watch. So we'll see how they fill it. Because, again, they have the options. They even have Austin Dean. Again, they have four outfielders that can play there. It's hard to say which one's going to get it. I would go with Nagowski, or I would give Nagowski, Lane Thomas, and Justin Williams a look if you're really desperate off the waiver wire and, and, and uh, only types. But you, don't, you just never know which one's going to actually run with it. And then you have the um, the fact that, you know, it's Edmund leading off, Goldie, Arenado, DeYoung in that order. And then you have Tyler O'Neill. That should that actually honestly might bat fifth. And then Carlson might bat sixth or seventh. He's been batting seventh, but he has been coming around. So hopefully that's the beginning of things to come for Carlson because the dude is uber talented. Yes, I said uber. I never say that word. Feels weird. But he has two home runs this spring, batting just 250, but with a 333 OBP. So the OBP skills will be should be there and could lead to him 
hitting higher in the lineup. But they, I could see them batting Carlson lower to start just so he can kind of get his legs under him and get going. The Cubs, again, we, it's a known commodity at this point. Ian Happ's going to lead off. Fantastic. Then we're going to have Wilson Contreras likely batting second because, believe it or not, they really seem to be in on that idea. Rizzo third, Bryant fourth, Peterson fifth, Javier Baez sixth. And I've stressed this all offseason with him batting sixth. That hurts him, especially because Baez is a guy that I, I hate calling him a compiler, but he's a guy with such streaky tendencies, swing and miss in his game that he, he needs every bat possible to maximize his potential value. And Baez is going to lose at bats going from third to in the lineup, you know, batting third, fourth to batting sixth. That's losing lineups. That's losing, losing at bats every game. Even if it's one here, one there, it adds up. One less at bat for him to maximize that profit potential. So Baez is a guy that I've dropped down my board a little bit. Someone I'm not truly all that interested in. He he does have tape back this uh, this year, so he says he's a guy that needs it. But Javi Baez, he's had it back for spring, I'd assume. 15 strikeouts, 43 plate appearances, batting 195. Yeah, he's deserving every bit of that six-hole spot that he's you know fallen into. Nico Horner should have the job. I'm gonna go out and say he, go on and say he has the job, and he has a home run, three stolen bases, batting 353 and 405. Prospect pedigrees there for Horner. Speeds there. He could if he gave you 10 home runs and 15 stolen bases, going as late as he is in drafts. He's an end game guy. He has second base and shortstop eligibility, I believe, in fantasy. Nico Horner needs to be on your radars entering this final weekend as a guy you target late in drafts to plug into your middle infield spot if you need speed because the speed is there. It's something he has shown. The power is one thing he hasn't shown, but I think there is 10 home run potential, which that's not flashy, but when it's coming with 10 to 15 or even more stolen bases, that is. So take Nico Horner in drafts in the end game, I would say. Jason Hayward is Jason Hayward at this point. I mean, he showed like he had like a he had like a return, like a flash. Like a little, like it just look like old Jason Hayward last year. I don't know. I know only. I, I don't even want him. He's going to platoon more than likely. I don't really want him in mixed leagues. So I know only. Obviously, the playing time is going to be there on the strong side of a platoon. Batting seventh ish in the lineup. Yeah, that's about it for him. We know what he is. The Pirates are not sexy. They're not fun. But the top three in that lineup have value considering where you're getting them in drafts. Adam Frazier, since returning from the injury, has been absurdly great hitting 563 with a 576 obp with two home runs and a stolen base the dude is just hitting a ton 18 hits and 33 plate appearances like he's seeing the ball see ball hit ball with adam frazier right now and he's going to be leading off of the pirates so the at-bats are there he has brian hayes batting right behind him who's also having himself quite an impressive spring and then of course brian reynolds behind both of them like i'm sorry that that Right there is three players, and he's having himself a decent spring as well. Three players you can get dirt cheap in drafts. Well, sorry, Brian Hayes, you're not getting dirt cheap. But two of those three, you are. And people want to you know, give the Pirates a hard time because they're not a good lineup. Well, they're still going to get at-bats. They're still going to see really weak pitching in the central. I just drafted Adam Frazier in a league today, and honestly, I'm, I'm excited about it. Second base, outfield eligibility, great bench bat. A guy that can fill in for injuries, a guy who's honestly probably gonna start for me the first couple games to see if he can roll this hot streak into the regular season. Gotta love that. Gregory Planco, another guy that people just like every year there's always a little hype on him. You're getting him again, another guy's dirt cheap. Six walks to just three strikeouts. The, the plate discipline's been there this spring. Yeah, oh sorry, wrong guy. I lied. I that was Jorge Planco. Gregory Planco has three walks to seven strikeouts. So the plate discipline for Jorge Planco makes sense, which again we'll revisit with the twins. But Greg Gregory Planco. Gregory Gregory Polanco, I can't speak apparently, 
has shown some power. Two home, two home runs, one stone base. So the power speed stuff, which he has flashed in the past, Polanco has. So what says that we can't see that again? What says we can't see a little bit of power, a little bit of speed? Batting 286, even if it's closer to 260. There's 2015, 2010 upside here. Again, another guy going dirt cheap because the Pirates. There's a Pirate. Like everyone talks about Yankee tax. There's a Pirates discount. you got to take advantage of it. I think Kevin Newman is going to be a thing again. I mean, he looks like he might have the inside track to starting shortstop position. He's crushing it this spring. Can't, his, his stats are stupid. Like, they're stupid good well, in terms of batting average and OBP and all that. So I'm not going to even bother. They're over 700 to give you an idea. But Kevin Newman was a thing a couple years ago. Struggled mightily last year. Another guy that maybe he could be a thing again. You're getting him again free in drafts. The Pirates have parts that could be fantasy relevant at a great discount. Don't write off a team just because they are bad. Doesn't mean you can't have fantasy production from said bad players. Colin Moran is probably the only one I have no interest in because all these other guys are going at discounts. Whereas Moran and Moran is too, but Moran offers the least on the left side, in my opinion, because I think there's a, I think we've already heard and it's going to happen that there's going to be a platoon there. Moran's going to have the strong side of the platoon with um, Frazier, not Adam Frazier though. The um, wow. Todd Frazier. So Todd Frazier's going to hit lefties, Moran against righties, but Moran batting fourth, you could do worse, but I'd rather have every guy I just mentioned, Polanco, Reynolds, obviously Hayes, Frazier, Adam Frazier. I'd rather have all those guys, all of them, over Colin Moran. Like, I am out on Colin Moran. He's the one discount I don't want to take on my team because there's other discounts there that I'd rather have. I'm wondering if Dustin Fowler is going to be a thing again. Like, he hasn't really done much this spring, so who knows? But that... That center field spot is up for grabs. It seems like I'm going to go with Anthony Alford probably getting it, but I'm not even confident about that because Brian Goodwin's been playing there lately. Alford, I don't know anymore. Is Alford going to play left field? No, Reynolds going to play left field. Oh, Alford's done okay this spring. Nothing flash. I mean, he's hit a couple home runs in 276, but 10 strikeouts and 31 play appearances. That ain't going to cut it. Goodwin, we've seen him be relevant. He's not hitting, again, another guy who's striking out a lot this spring, 12 and 35 play appearances. Has given us a, couple, a little bit of counting stats by hitting just 226. Alfred is who I'm going to go with with like little confidence. It is a mess there in Pittsburgh for the center field spot. I would like to see Oliva go because I think Oliva would offer the most, <laughs> for fantasy purposes, I think he'd offer the most fantasy upside because the speed is there, but he has done nothing to earn it. So I doubt he breaks camp with the team at this point. Or if he, or if he breaks camp, I doubt he starts, I should say. The Reds are getting another team that we just kind of know. So I'm going to run through them. I think Winker is going to be leading off. We've seen him lead off three times this week alone. And if not leading off, he's usually hitting towards the top anyway. And then he's going to be followed by Castellanos, Vado, Moustakis, and Suarez, likely in that order. Or you can see Suarez and Moustakis flip-flop here and there. That wouldn't surprise me because, you know, lefty-righty, lefty-righty deal. Um, Senzel Shabbat right behind all that. Tucker Barnhart. You're going to see Jonathan India. I think he's going to – I project him to win the job at second base and bat eighth or eighth or so in that lineup. So, yeah, there's a lot. Pretty much it there with that team. Again, with no Akiyama, Senzel should get free run. Maybe Aquino can be somewhat relevant as a bench bat slash a platoon side partner for somebody. Tough to say. Tough to see a real path to relevance there for Aquino. And like I said, Tucker Barnhart's going to be the starter. That means Tyler Stevenson's going to be the odd man out there. And yeah, not too much there with Tyler Stevenson. And I I I actually really like Stevenson too, so it bums me out to uh, say that. With the D-backs, it's still kind of a mess. I mean, we have Peralta leading off against lefties, oddly enough, oddly enough, pretty often. But last I checked, Peralta's not a great, like, it's not like he has great splits against lefties. So it might just be to get him reps. I think Calhoun just going to end up being the leadoff guy when he comes back. 
But until he does, I think Freddie Peralta can very much lead off at times. I just don't understand what they're doing with the whole leadoff against lefties thing because his career numbers against lefties are worse than his career numbers against righties. He's always hit righties better. So Peralta leading off against lefties might just be to get some playing time in there. But it's happened so often that I, I'm starting to believe it a little bit. Ketel <laughs> uh, Marte, obviously top of the lineup guy. We know that. Eduardo Escobar is going to be middle of the lineup. Christian Walker as well. Is Jobo Cabrera is weird? I'm not sure what to expect. Will he fall into a platoon with Rojas at second base once Calhoun returns? Rojas should stick to playing most days. Again, at the very least, strong side of platoon. Ahmed, Nick Ahmed should be batting sixth in that lineup somewhere around roughly. Again, not sexy, not flashy, but he's going to play every day, and that matters in deeper leagues. Carson Kelly will bat sixth or seventh as well. Again, it's going to be kind of a mix-up in this lineup. Kelly's a guy, catcher. You know he's going to play enough to be relevant, but it's still – he hasn't shown anything. Like He just he had, the, he had the breakout. He said he refined his approach this year, entering this year, to kind of try to get back to his ways, like his successful ways. But he's been far from successful in the spring, batting – Ten, again, batting 158 with 10 strikeouts and 40 play appearances. Not what we're hoping for. There seems to be a lot of excitement around LeCastro, and I think people are hoping he could be on the strong side of a platoon at the very least because we know the speed is there, and he has good success against right-handed pitching. But again, it's kind of a tight squeeze, again, especially when Calhoun returns. There's some short-term value there. Maybe the first couple weeks you stream him for stolen bases. But then that beyond that, where does he play? Left field's going to be... Taken up by Peralta, Cattell's going to be in center, and then you're going to have right field with Calhoun. Like that's Castro is going to be the fourth outfield type, and he's going to be someone who fills in the blanks, probably plays three games a week between the three outfield spots, maybe four when guys need extra rest. But it's going to be hard to roster him regularly outside of daily leagues where you can utilize him being in and out and whatnot. The Dodgers are kind of just the Dodgers. Mookie Betts is going to lead off, Corey Seager, Justin Turner. Cody Bellinger's trip back cleanup. That's what he's been trending towards like over the last week or so. And this that, that top four is pretty much set with Max Muncy batting fifth or sixth. It looks like he'll bat sixth when Will Smith is in the lineup, fifth when he's not. It's minimal in terms of how it affects him. I would say he's going to bat fifth or sixth. Doesn't really matter. Austin Barnes, we'll see plenty of. He'll bat seventh when he's in the lineup, roughly pushing pretty much either Gavin Lux or Chris Taylor, which whoever's in the lineup any given day, those two are going to, one of those two are going to bat eighth almost every game. So right there, it already becomes a, like you're already losing value because of uh, where they're playing in the lineup. But I think it's Taylor, and I hate that it might be Taylor, but I think it's going to be Taylor that uh, takes the job. Unfortunately, I just he's just he's played more with these starting lineups, and you look for trends, right? You're looking for things that and try to read the tea leaves, trying to really get that just last second edge. I think obviously they want. They want Lux to work out. We all want Lux to work out. Lux is a stud, or can be anyway. The idea of Lux is a stud. Chris Taylor has done everything in his power to earn that spot this this spring. Four home runs, bang 382 with OBP 462. Yeah, he's had a little bit of strikeouts, 12 and 39 plate appearances. But he's one again. He's getting not only is he getting playing play, getting plate appearances, but he's also getting the reps with the ones more often. And that's the type of stuff I'm looking for when I'm looking at trends. Lux has had similar strikeout issues, 11 in 39 plate appearances. But he's also, like, not even crushing, but he's also hitting very well. Hitting 351, 385, but the slug is just a, a lowly 459. No home runs, no triples, four doubles, though. But he has a caught stealing as well. Regardless, I think Lux has done everything to deserve a shot, but Taylor has outplayed him, providing more production in spring for what that's worth anyway. And they like Taylor Taylor. Uh, the thing is those 
Taylor should be a super util. They could utilize him anywhere. And you're going to see Ajik Pollock get his days off. You're going to see Cole, Cole Bellinger get his days off. Justin Turner get his days off. Although Ed Rios will probably play the corners more often than not when, you know, these guys, when Muncie and Turner get their days off. I think we see Taylor bounce around from center, second base to outfield, which will give Lux a few days a week in the field. But I just don't see Taylor as the everyday starter, unfortunately. I mean, sorry, Lux as the everyday starter, unfortunately. I want to see Lux. Now, will he take the job? Probably. I would say so. Just how long is it going to take for it to get there? How much is Taylor going to have to struggle? Will Taylor struggle? I think there's too many question marks there to take Lux with confidence as a starter. But if you can get him late enough to where he's like your MI or somebody you can stash until we see the playing time being consistent for him, then he's worth it. I just I know there's a little helium there with Lux. Rightfully so. Prospect pedigree is there. Performance has been there for the most part. Again, hitting well, but not producing much outside of just the hits. And yeah, that's... That's really it with Lux. Again, I want him to succeed. I just don't know what to expect at this point. The Giants, they're, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to do here. I think Lestella and Yastrzemski are definitely hitting top two. Solano's been hitting third a lot this spring, so I could see Solano sticking to the middle of the lineup, and he's a guy that's been free in drafts. Batting average, you know he's, what he's going to do. Yeah, he's he seems he seemingly always overperforms, but that's kind of, I guess, like his skill set's almost become that type of thing after that after solano like you just assume that you're gonna see some posey in there some brandon belt uh longoria he made his way back how like it's gonna be a bunch of platoons it's gonna be a mess dubon will be sprinkled in there at multiple positions kind of utility type slater will get his i don't know honestly what to expect this team it's gabe kapler too it's i wish there was more to take from it and of course slater's done a lot in terms of just producing he kind of picked up where he left off three home runs two stolen bases batting 400 in just 22 play appearances another guy that we saw last year really flash changes mechanics up a little bit really did really did good things and he's and the injuries hindered him and he's coming back in spring looking good he could push his way into a into a spot he's a guy i'm really eyeing the padres again grisham comes back he leads off while he's out it could be fam we see tatis leading off today we've seen a lot of fam leading off that's been with tatis out of the lineup but i think grisham comes back he's supposed to come back this weekend and if he makes it back this weekend i think he'll get enough reps in to just enter the season back in his role but other than that again you have tatis who looks like he's healthy playing shortstop machado those guys are gonna be top three grisham tatis machado fam's gonna bat fourth or fifth most days with hauser sprinkled in and myers around there Cronenworth is the everyday second baseman, in my opinion. There's no doubts about it in my mind. You see Kim bounce around from shortstop to second. To we saw him in left field, I think once this week, maybe twice. He's a guy that is gonna he's gonna be the super util, the infield guy. You know, you're gonna see Hosmer get days off. When Hosmer gets days off, Cronenworth will move to first, allowing Kim to play second. You'll see Kim spell uh, Tatis over there on occasion, giving him a break. So Machado, he'll play third for Machado as well. So Kim will get his, but he's not gonna be a starter. It's Cronenworth's job, and Cronenworth's done well enough in spring to hold him off. Right now, Campisano and Caratini are splitting catcher reps. We know that's Nilo's job when he returns. Profar is strictly the fourth outfielder, in my opinion, because they have Kim for the infield. They're utilizing Profar as the outfielder. He's played outfield every single game since Grisham went out. So right now, Profar is in, but he'll only, but he'll again, he'll be another guy who plays three to four games a week just by giving fam days off. Grisham's probably going to start off a little slower given you know the coming off injury and then you're then you also have Myers and not to mention Fam and Myers have their injury uh they're injury prone they have their histories there I think Profar's gonna get plenty of playing time just not regularly at least not right away the Rockies 
I think that's Hampson's job. I'm projecting Hampson as the starter. I don't care what anyone says at this point. Hampson, like you see, like what they did is they started off Hampson this spring, right? They started playing him pretty much every single day at Centerfield. It was his job. Centerfield was his. There was no taking away from him. The dude was just running with it. He, this spring he's bat, he's hitting 310, 10 strikeouts, but but six walks. So the play discipline isn't terrible. And the 10 strikeouts are almost it's almost over 50 play appearances, 49 play appearances. So it's actually not as bad as it looks. And he has four stolen bases, zero caught stealing. Very efficient on the base paths. The speed's there, we know that. The power will come, especially in cores, but it's secondary. But stolen base is what we care about. And Hampson looks like he has that job because they gave Hilliard a similar amount of run, it looked like at one point. And when they did that. I was like, oh, man, the Rockies are rocking. They, and they've given Hilliard more play appearances, 54. But in 54 play appearances, we've seen Hilliard strike out 19 times. And, yeah, he has the same four stolen bases. He actually has a home run. He's very toolsy. But there's so much swing and miss in that game that it's hard for him to – it's hard. Like, the team wants to play him. They want they want him to work out. But Hilliard just has too many holes in that swing, causing a lot of issues in the batting average department. So, although he is toolsy, it comes at the, the expense of – his plate discipline. And again, I think that leads to him being on the bench. McMahon should bat second. Oh, yeah, going back to the line of spots. Hampson's probably going to hit towards the bottom. McMahon's going to play second, I believe, with Fuentes playing third base to start the season. I thought Hampson was going to play second, you know, keeping Hilliard in, but I think they like Fuentes. Fuentes has done well enough to, and they like, I think they like him at third base. So I think Fuentes is going to get the starting spot at their base as long as Rodgers is out. Rodgers comes back, he'll slot back in the second, bat the bottom lineup. Fuentes is going to bat like six-ish. That's where he's been hitting all spring. Crone, obviously, in the cleanup spot. Or, sorry, Crone's probably going to be batting fifth behind Tapia leading off, McMahon batting second, Story third, Blackman fourth. Crone's crushing it, though, and he'll be batting fifth almost without a doubt in my mind. Again, Fuentes sixth, and then seventh and eighth will be Rodgers and Hampson in some order when Rodgers returns, but until then it'll be... um, Hmm. Oh, sorry. Wait, doesn't doesn't make sense? I don't know. No, no, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense. It would be... Hampson, where would oh I guess Rogers and Hampson and I guess Rogers and Hampson would bat six seventh because the eighth is the catcher. So Fuentes would be the odd man out, obviously, assuming he doesn't play himself into that role. Then that's a whole other discussion when Rogers gets back. But I think they want to get Rogers in there every day. I was over here. I'm over here looking at this lineup. Like, how can this work? No DH in the NL is really hurting me in terms of trying to figure out this stuff. Let's move over to the AL. The Springer injury really threw me off. I really didn't know. Like, first off, I didn't. I don't think anyone knew it was there. Just say, hey, by the way, grade two oblique. That can linger. I don't want – I like Springer. I think he'll be back sooner than later. But until he is, Simeon she looks like he's going to be leading off. Biggio batting second. Biggio is going to fall right back to seventh, I would think, as soon as Springer returns. But I think that could also figure itself out because I think whoever hits better between Simeon or Biggio could be the one who falls. But Biggio, we know the OBP is there. He has an OBP of 381 this spring while batting 235. That is Biggio. One home run, the three stone bases. Again, Biggio, we know what he can do. It's just a matter of does he bat at the top or at the bottom because batting at the top, that on-base skill plays a lot better than batting seventh. And although batting seventh might lead him to run just as much because he's going to have to because he doesn't have the big the big guys behind him, it's also less play appearances for him to get on base because he is a compiler. Biggio is very much a guy that needs the play appearances to produce the, the production. It's just it is what it is. Biggio is going to be solid. But if he's 2020, what type of counting stats are you getting out of him? And where he's going in, in drafts, it doesn't quite make sense to me. So, he, But maybe he earns it because, again, he's being very much himself this spring. If I told you like that was his line, you shouldn't be surprised. The thing about 
uh, Semyon, he hasn't really done anything to hold his own. I mean, he's hit three home runs, but he also has 16 strikeouts and 49 play appearances while batting 233 with an OBP that's not as good as Biggio's. So if you're batting the same batting average as Biggio without the on-base percentage, you could be you you could be the one, and you as in Semyon could be the one that falls down the lineup over Biggio. You know the middle lineups. Uh, even Montoya's kind of Montoya's been openly like open about it. He's going to mix those guys up. Uh, it's not going to make much of a difference if Vlad's hitting fourth or sixth any day. Gurriel's been hitting sixth the most. I think you'll see Gurriel hitting sixth the most with Vlad and Teoscar hitting fourth and fifth a lot. Rowdy Telez finds his lefty bat in there a lot as well in the middle of the lineup because it's full of righties. He likes to get those left. He likes to get the lefty in there. <sighs> Bichette should bat third most days. So that's going to push some players around as well. It's it's just going to be forever moving thing going on at the top of the lineup or in the middle of the lineup, I should say. With the top being the only thing that I would think is somewhat safe. The Orioles, you have Cedric Mullins leading off. That's kind of a given. I don't think he's hit any else this spring. Actually, I'm almost certain he hasn't. And he's played center field exclusively. Hayes, they want to see in that lineup. They like having Hayes in the corner outfield spot next to Mullins. They and Mullins and Hayes play really well together. They know they can cover a bunch of field. The defense will keep both those guys in. Hayes' bat is also there. So we should see Hayes in the lineup most days. But then that's, that puts a squeeze on this lineup because you have Mountcastle, who they've played exclusively at left field. Russell Resource says first base, but Mountcastle hasn't played a single rep there in spring. I don't think they're going to suddenly take a guy who they've been literally grooming for the, for left field and say, you know what, we're going to put your first base without any warning or without any reps in spring. You're a young guy. You, we want to work you at a position, but we're gonna, you know what, Mountcastle, we're going to put you at first. I don't buy that. I think he plays left fielder DHs because right now, even today, we saw Michael Franco take first base duties when Fran- with Mancini out. I, Rio, Rio Ruiz, the third base. I think Ruiz is going to sneak in between first and third base and DH to get his at-bats, but not many. He's a bench guy. Santander and Mountcastle, I think, are going to split reps in the outfield slash DH. I think those are the guys that you got to wonder what's going on there. Like I think Because I think, they want again, they want to get Hayes in that lineup. That puts a squeeze on the outfield positions. But the DH is there. I think. I, I just think Mancini maybe plays more first base than people were anticipating. People suddenly thought that it was going to be Mancini at DH. I think that's what the common consensus was. Oh, Mancini's going to be, be the full-time DH. Santander hasn't played in a few days, so I'm really wondering what's going on there. Apparently, there is no um, injury, according to reports, but he's been taking a lot of at-bats in the backfield. But why in the backfield? The backfield isn't where you need at bats. You need at bats. You need game at bats. You need those at bats. You need at bats that matter. Santander's not like a, a wily veteran. He's a guy that very much could use those at bats. So I think there's more there than they're than they're telling us, which is cause for concern as well. He's a guy that I'd be a little cautious about in terms of drafting this final weekend. Not that you shouldn't, but obviously there's something going on. Why is he not playing? Don't just say, oh, it's because he has a lot of at bats in the backfield. That's that doesn't seem very realistic. That seems kind of like BS, to be honest. The Rays throw their names in a bag and mix them up. This is the hardest lineup to figure out. This one and the and the Diamondbacks were a little tough, but the Rays are really tough. They've they've talked about Susugo possibly leading off against righties. But they've shown Susugo and Margot playing a lot at the top of the lineup, which has bumped Meadows down to the three spot, as well as well as Brandon Lau batting fourth and like. We could see some format of Rosarena being second, Meadows third, Lau fourth, with one of Susugo or Margot batting first, and then the other one batting fifth. That wouldn't surprise anybody. Yandy Diaz is playing a ton as well. I'm having a hard time with this lineup, though. I just don't know who's playing where and what, honestly. It's it's kind of a mess. I'm kind of having a hard time guessing where they're gonna do what they're gonna do with this lineup, and that's kind of the Rays MO. They platoon, they move players around. That's 
all you can kind of expect. <laughs> but I do like Margot and Susugo towards the top. I know Margot's hit pretty well. Susugo, let's see how he's been. Not great. I maybe So maybe they're just seeing what they have there. But if I had to guess, I think Margot would get the chance at the top of the lineup of the two if they actually are going to put one up there. Margot's one still in bases, batting 387 with a 459 OBP this spring, over 37 spring at bats. That's going to play at the top of the lineup compared to Susugo's like 200 batting average, or whatever it was when I looked it up just now. So, yeah, uh, Susugo is just, he's almost like the G Man Choi without G Man Choi being there type of thing. But he hasn't performed, so I don't see how they would have confidence to put him at the top of that lineup. The Red Sox are very much a lineup that we have a pretty, like, they've been very, Cora's been pretty open with that lineup, how it's going to roll out. Enrique Hernandez continues to be a value in drafts. I don't care if you like him. <laughs> he's going like outside the top 400, maybe higher now, but he should lead off for this team. He's going to lead off. He's let off all spring. Cora has given him pretty much the, the, like, you're going to do it, the confidence. He's all, he's all there. He's all in on it, you know? And, why wouldn't you just want the leadoff hitter for the for the Red Sox? He has nine walks to seven strikeouts. That type of plate discipline will play as a leadoff hitter. Batting 308 with a 449 OBP. Only one home run, four doubles. But again, you want a guy who gets on base, he's doing that. So even if it doesn't stick long term, we know in the short term he's going to play every day at second base. He's going to lead off for the Red Sox. And if you're leading off in a lineup that has Alex Verdugo batting second, J.D. Martinez batting fourth, Xander Bogarts batting fifth, and Rafael Devers batting Sorry, I said that wrong. Verdugo batting second, Martinez third, Bogarts fourth, Devers fifth. That is following Hernandez. Hernandez is going to see a bunch of pitches, and if he doesn't get his pitch, he will walk. He'll, he's obviously willing to take a walk. He'll get on base, and he will score 100 runs if he can stick that leadoff spot. You're getting a guy with multi-positional eligibility between second and outfield as late as you're getting him in this lineup that is obviously being overlooked, I think, by a lot of people. Count me in. And another guy that I'm falling for again, I'm a sucker for, Hunter Renfro. People love Bobby Dahlbeck. Bobby Dahlbeck's batting ninth. Corey even said he's going to be a good nine-hole hitter. I don't see how a guy who's going to bat 250 or 240 but smack 30 is going to be a good nine-spot hitter. I think Dahlbeck could work his way up to sixth. But what we want out of Dahlbeck, we can, we've, no, we've seen out of Renfro. I think Renfro is that guy. You know, He's going to hit 230, 240 with 30-plus home runs. But the difference with Renfro and Dahlbeck, Renfro's going to be batting sixth in this lineup. Adding six behind those names I mentioned with Bogarts, Evers, Martinez, et cetera. That's a lot of RBI opportunity. Now, it depends how he hits if he holds it. And we could easily see Renfro and Dahlbeck switch spots, obviously. But until that happens, give me Renfro on the discount. Like, he's going outside the top 400. I'll take that all day for late power because you just need to grab that late sometimes because you, if you prioritize speed and batting average elsewhere, Renfro is a great guy to kind of plug in and see what he offers. We mentioned Dahlbeck. He's going to be batting ninth. We know the power upside's there. We also know the swing and miss is there. The dude's crushing spring home runs, but he's also swinging and missing plenty as well. It's just it's a scary profile. It's almost like it reminds me of C. Riss Davis, Chris Davis of the Orioles, that year where he led the league in home runs and led the league in strikeouts. That is a very possible outcome for Bobby Dahlbeck, which is a weirdly scary but interesting. And hmm, I kind of want to share, but I don't have any because the skills has just never been something. Um, it's just kind of something that, I don't like the target. The Yankees, we know this lineup. There's no secrets. We have DJ LeMahieu, uh, Aaron Judge, Aaron Hicks, Stanton, Voigt, Torres, Urshela, Frazier, and Gary Sanchez. We'll see Gary Sanchez somewhere in there in eighth, ninth, seventh. Maybe Urshela falls. Maybe Frazier bats ninth. This is a stacked lineup from top to bottom. There's no way around it. It just is what it is. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, there's not much to add here. We know what to expect. Hicks batting third is sneaky valuable. He's not going to hit for a great batting average, but he can give you 20 home runs, 10 stolen bases, 
and obviously a, to 100 RBIs and 100 runs if he actually stays healthy. It's a big if with Aaron Hicks. He's known for getting injured, but if but if the big if if he doesn't, you're talking about huge uh, profit potential there. I don't have any shares myself because the health always does scare me off with Aaron Hicks. But I'm gonna I might have some FOMO there. I might miss I might have missed out, and that's kind of upsetting. The Royals, another lineup that we've just known about for a while. Whit Merrifield leading off, Benatendi second, Montesi third, Sal Perez fourth, Carlos Santana fifth, Jorge Soler sixth, Hunter Dozier seventh, Michael A. Taylor eighth, and insert outfielder Kyle Isbell or Gerard Dyson ninth. Like, oh, Dyson, is that really going to be a thing? If Dyson does, in fact, stick in this type of lineup, or I don't see it happening, but if he did, like, you know, there's some slow pieces there, and that's it. Uh, it looks like they're going to keep Wit at second, though. They've been playing Wit at second almost exclusively, or at least over the last week they have, which is pretty much made me wonder, like, what's going on with this? Like, uh, are they going to bring up Edward Olivares? That's the kind of the name that I want to see up because they, obviously, if Nicky Lopez isn't playing second base, he's not going to play shortstop unless Mondesi's out. This leaves a hole in their nine spot that could be filled by Nicky Lopez or a different out or an outfielder or Hans or Alberto. So it's not really a spot I want any part of anyway, but I do like Michael A. Taylor. He's being overlooked. I don't think we've seen, I don't think we've seen uh, much from Taylor in terms of like batting average, but we know he's flat like skills wise. He's power and speed in 2017. He, he played 118 games, hit 19 home runs, stole 17 bases, 2018 played 134 games. The home runs declined to just six, stole 24 bases. But so yeah, my point is those, although it's not flashy, not sexy in terms of batting average, we know he can give you a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, and that's a skill set we like to take take on late. He should be playing every day. How's he looked in spring? We haven't, I haven't you know, I probably haven't looked him up once because he's just a guy that I actually have a good round of shares of in deeper formats. He's a guy I just fall back on because outfield's deep, and he's a guy like I usually end up putting on my bench. And Taylor this spring is batting 406. Holy crap! With two stolen bases. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it was two caught stealing instead of two actual um two two caught stealing instead of two stolen bases. So that's a little unfortunate. But other than that, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like he's crushing it this spring. Otherwise, so we'll see what happens. I think he'll still run, or he'll get the chance to run batting eighth or ninth. I don't know where he's gonna bat. Double, having him as double leadoff almost makes sense. But Taylor seventh. Also, or no, Taylor probably gonna be about eighth behind Dozier, which again, not much, uh, not much protection for Dozier, but it's at least something because at least Michael Taylor is somewhat of a threat with the bat, whereas Nicky Lopez is not, whereas uh, Kyle Isbell isn't much either. On to the Tigers, where you're gonna see Grossman lead off 90% of the time, 99% of the time. We've saw him move down against some lefties lately, not sure how realistic that is, but. With Victor Reyes being a good lefty hitter, with I guess Jacoby Jones potentially moving up against lefties, that could push Grossman down. That's fine. You're talking about a guy who's still going late enough in drafts that there's value there, regardless. And this is Robbie Grossman I'm talking about. And there's value there, regardless of if he's leading off 90% of the time or 100% of the time. Um, so yeah, it's really almost irrelevant. Um, Candelario should bat top of the order, followed by Willie Castro somewhere in there and Jonathan Scope. Those two are going to be bat three and five in some order, I think. And then Miguel Cabrera is going to sneak in between them, obviously. Mazzara is going to have the strong side of a platoon. Again, going back to Victor Reyes, I think Mazzara is the guy who's going to bat six or seven in that lineup, have a good amount of run. Uh, Wilson Ramos, obviously the catcher, he's going to be batting seventh or so in that lineup. Jacoby Jones likely batting ninth most days. And then I think it's like, 
do we see Nico Goodrum? Do we see Isaac Paredes, Harold Castro? I think we see a little bit of mix and match in there. Although, again, it all depends on if Scope's going to play second, Candelaro plays third, and Miggy actually DHs. In which case, someone's got to play first, right? Like, we got something's got to give. We'll see what happens. That spot's kind of just up for grabs, it looks like. Although, Renato Nunez is still a thing. Nunez will play more first base than DH, and that's going to kind of squeeze that last spot. So, yeah, never mind. I scratched some of the stuff I said. I would say Renato Nunez takes that final spot in the starting lineup with Nico Goodrum being more of a super util type. And yes, Victor Reyes is going to be kind of the fourth outfielder slash platoon partner, I believe, to Mazzaro. But I do see, again, Nunez is a guy that just people are forgetting about. He's just a big power bat going super late in drafts. AL, I, I don't know if he's mixed league relevant, but he's definitely AL only. You know you're going to get stats out of him. He should play most days. He's getting, I mean, he was not on roster invitee, but I don't know, just boring. He's like a poor man's Bobby Dalback, basically. Um, we saw him put up 31 home runs in 2019, 12 in 2020 in a shortened season, which would have been similar pace. I mean, strikeouts a bit, hits about 250, 244 and 256 last two years. So Nunez is a guy, again, a poor man's Bobby Dalback. It's, that's, again, that skill set isn't, that goes back to why I don't really target Bobby Dalback. The skill set isn't sexy to me. We could find it in Ronaldo Nunez like 100 or so picks later. With obviously Dahlbeck's ceiling is way higher, but batting ninth, it's not that much higher. So we have to see Dahlbeck move up. And even if he moves up, it would take an injury or underperformance by Hunter Renfro, which we've seen before. I just think it's one of those things whereas Nunez will probably be batting closer to sixth or seventh. So a few extra at bats every game. I don't know. I still think Dahlbeck will I'll produce him, obviously. I just, again, poor man's Bobby Dahlbeck. That's like, it's not sexy, not flashy, but it'll do. The White Sox are interesting. Tim Anderson should be leading off. Elo Jimenez, unfortunately, out for pretty much the year. I, I'm going to say now that puts Grandall batting fifth, if I had to guess. They've mentioned Eaton batting second a ton. I do think Eaton ends up batting second now with Grandall kind of having a home in the middle of that lineup instead of being stuck six. I think they want to maybe move Grandall in and out of batting second. Now, Grandall should bat second because I really don't want Eaton to bat second. But Eaton probably going to be batting second more times than not, which pushes Grandall to fifth and Luis Robert likely hitting sixth or seventh with Andrew Vaughn mixing in there somewhere as well. That's where I'm not sure what they're going to do. Are they going to put Vaughn in the outfield? Are they, I think they still I think they could still sign somebody like a Jay Bruce or something once he's available from the Yankees. That makes sense. Puig is still a free agent. His name has been floated out there. I don't know if that's just more that's more in fantasy circles. I wouldn't draft Puig at this point. I would not think at all that he's going to get signed. There's no reason for that belief. And if I had to pick someone who's actually going to be playing left field, it's going to be Laurie Garcia or Scott Engel. I believe Engel is injured. Or, sorry, Scott Engel. That's a rotoballer guy. Adam Engel. Adam Engel, not Scott. Scott's good people, but Adam's the one I'm talking about. Yeah, it looks like he's injured right now. So I would say Laurie Garcia, is, that's his job to run with. Not a sexy name. AL only type. Deep, deep, deep uh, mixed leagues, like 50, dream, 50 team drafting holds. Because Garcia can bounce around and get multi-positional eligibility by the end of the year if he doesn't already have it. But we'll see. I think they signed somebody, honestly. I don't think they go into this. Or they might go into the season with a Lori Garcia. But I do think they end up bringing somebody else in because it's leaving them kind of like right now. Nick Williams would be like their backup off the bench to play the outfield. And I think they want to keep Lori Garcia in that fourth outfielder role instead of having him as a starter every day. I could be wrong. They played Andrew Vaughn in the outfield today. Because they, you know, the White Sox didn't learn their lesson about putting a player who shouldn't be in the outfield in the outfield, so they, they doubled down on their stupidity. That's always fun. Way to go, White Sox. The Angels are just the Angels. I mean, David Fletcher's going to lead off. Otani lately has been hitting leadoff or second, and that 
makes me question where Jared Walsh going to hit. Because we see Jared Walsh at second, but only in lineups where Otani's out. So when Otani comes in and plays DH, Walsh has honestly sat majority of the time in favor of Albert Pujols, who's out hitting him in spring. Spring training stats don't matter. I've said, I've said it five times or so this show, but do, do they not matter when a guy who has an overall track record in the pros is struggling in spring and a guy with a, a Hall of Fame career track record is hitting well, looks crazy slow on the base paths, shouldn't be running much, looks like it hurts him to run pools, but he's performing well. Will that push Walsh for playing time out the gates? Will Walsh bat? If Walsh is in, though, he should bat top five because that lefty bat, they want to get mixed in there. But Otani's batting second right now. There's no way you're going to suddenly say, oh, you know what? Let's move Otani to fourth. Rendon to fifth in favor of Jared Walsh, who's not doing anything. I, I don't see. I can see Walsh hitting fifth, though. I can see Walsh hitting sixth, fifth, fifth or sixth. I just think Pujols might eat into his playing time more than we like, at least, again, as long as Pujols is swinging a good bat. Upton is swinging a blazing hot bat. He's going to be batting fifth, almost certainty, certainly behind Mike Trout and Rendon. And I think Trout's going to stick to three. Part of the, you'll see in the, if you are reading my article, you'll see that Trout has been pretty much said to be hitting three, third. Madden wants him there. There was a quote from Madden again in the article. I skipped the quotes today because this was going to be a longer podcast because we had so much to cover. So yeah, that's uh, so that's the middle of that uh, lineup. So Trout's probably going to be hitting third. Gotta love that. Back end of this uh, roster, this lineup, uh, Max Sta- Max Stacy Stacy. I forget how to pronounce. It. I apologize. He's going to be the majority of the time catcher, but you know Kurt Suzuki's going to split a good amount of time with him. Jose Iglesias is just a guy, but. If you're looking for some cheap speed, you know he's going to play just about every day because that defense, that glove's going to keep him in the on the in the lineup on the field. We've seen him steal 15 bases as recent as 2018, six in 2019, none last year, but he did hit 373 and then 288 the year before, so he could bring a little bit of batting average there, some speed. Like he's not sexy, not flashy, but he's a guy you can put on your bench in your deepest of leagues. Again, all these players are just guys, but you're telling me I, I think Jose Iglesias is going to play 145 plus. In terms of games, you, you're going to tell me you can't give me 10 to 15 steals and hit 260, 270 in the process? If you're a 278 hitter, I'm going to take my chances. And again, the deepest of formats, he might only give you five to seven home runs. He hit 10 or 11 in 2019, but that was the juice ball. And that was in Cincinnati. So I wouldn't bet on that. I wouldn't bet on double digits, honestly. But I think double digit steals is very fair and very realistic. It looks like Miles Straw was replaced as the leadoff guy. I don't know why, though. I do know why this team is loaded, the Astros, but Straw has earned it. He's struck out just seven times in 44 plate appearances, batting 310, 341 OBP, three stolen bases to one caught stealing. That's kind of awesome. And we know he could be a good leadoff guy. At least he's showing it in spring. This was supposed to be his job to lose. They've given it to Altuve, who hasn't exactly earned it. Altuve, just a 308 on base, nine strikeouts to five walks over 52 plate appearances. Batting just 217, a couple home runs, no stolen bases, not even active on the base paths, it looks like. The speed, he obviously, he had a triple, so obviously there's still some speed there, but he's never been, like, he hasn't been a big base stealer in a couple of years. I shouldn't say he's never been. He used to be a great base stealer. But it looks like Altuve's going to be leading off. And against right-handed pitching, they're going to go Altuve, Brantley, Bregman, Tucker, Correa, Alvarez batting sixth, Guriel, Straw, Castro, or Maldonado. They've, they've put that lineup out for two straight right-handed pitchers. And against lefties, you see Jordan... Jordan move up, which is odd because he's a lefty. I don't know. Maybe that's just – I don't know. Maybe they were just toying with things there. I don't know. I, I think there's a real chance, though, that Jordan Alvarez is a six-spot hitter entering the year or Kyle Tucker. I can see those two flip-flopping, to be honest. But it's to be determined. It's, it's a loaded lineup regardless. doesn't really matter. Four Between four and six, you're going to be a 
you're going to be in a lot of RBI opportunities. You're going to be getting a lot of pitches. They're going to get a lot of bats. The only person that's really affected by this lineup right now is Miles Straub moving to eighth instead of leading off. He'll still steal bases. He's still going to play every day. That still has value for sure. But even though Straw isn't leading off, again, he'll have his value. Altuve, though, Baker has been quoted as saying, it's still a work in progress, but I'm leaning towards Altuve. That's a direct quote. So, And we're seeing that. We've seen that trend take place. Let's move on over to the athletics where Mark Canna has to be a leadoff guy. The guy he has led off nine his last nine spring spring training starts in a total of twelve out of fifteen overall. He has led off in terms of out of the fifteen starts he's played. Mark Canna has led off twelve of them. Yeah, I would say he's a leadoff guy and his, his on base rate. Even though he struggled a bit this spring, his on base percentage is over three forty. So that's a guy that you know belongs as a like top of lineup type of guy. Elvis Andrews has found himself batting second almost every time there's a lefty on the mound. I think he bats second against lefties. Ramon Laureano, I don't know what to think. I think he's going to bat second with righties on, but never bat lower than fifth. That's a guy that I expect to be hitting in top of the lineup, top to middle lineup all year long. Ramon Laureano is due for bounce back. He's having a strong spring. I can't believe I'm saying this name, but Jed Lowry, he's played so much. I think he might be winning the second base job over Tony Kemp or might be in a platoon. I think Kemp might be the short side platoon to Jed Lowry. And that is... Can Lowry be a thing? Can, like obviously AL only, where you're looking for at bats. Lowry might just get them. Like I know that's crazy to say, and he actually hits better against lefties and righties. So I don't know why he would be in a short side platoon or a strong side platoon. But it's just weird because they've really been playing Lowry a lot at second base. And when you see something like that, you take notice because it's Jed Lowry. And I thought it was kind of fun. I was I thought it was kind of funny. I'm like oh, he's back with A's or whatever. But yeah, he's doing it. And Kemp. And his career has batted better against righties as well. So that platoon makes sense if Kemp was on the strong side, Lowry on the weak side. But Kemp hasn't been a great hitter overall. He's batting a career 237 against righties. That's not going to keep Lowry from taking at bats against against righties, especially when Lowry has a career. What was it? Jed Lowry had a career. Oh, it's still like a Tony Kemp stuff. Sorry. One second. Let's pull up Jed Lowry again. I think it was over 235, though. That's the thing. It's like Jed Lowry might not be. Great as good, like he might be better against lefties, but his righty splits were better than Tony Kemp's righty splits. Yeah, career career two fifty five hitter against righties. That's gonna play, and it's a and well, it's a career one hundred four WRC plus against righties, career one ten WRC plus against lefties. They might want to see what they can do. They can get out of Lowry one last hurrah, thirty six year old good Lowry, because it's the A's and they they small ball, money ball, everything. That's just what they do. And Lowry hasn't done much this spring, but he also only has 31 play appearances, and he hasn't played baseball in, what, two years? I'm surprised, to be honest, that they're giving him such a long look. I thought it was Kemp's job. I guess it's not. I, or maybe it is. I don't know. Kemp has not looked ain't really special, anything special. His OBP has been great, but kind of it's Tony Kemp. We almost know what to expect here. So we'll see what happens there. I think Jed Lowry is going to factor, though, oddly enough. Like, that's just – it's weird to me, but I think that is what it is. Mitch Hanniger and is – the leadoff guy, I sound so un- so disinterested at this point, right? Mitch Hanniger is the leadoff guy for the for the Mariners. I would say so. He's been leading off almost exclusively for what twelve? I think his last twelve starts, spring training starts, Hanniger has let off. Just to give you an idea, and Ty France has hit going back now five or six straight, I believe six. I believe it's six of his. I think it's his six last. Six, I can't speak tonight. Ty France has let off. In each of his last six spring training starts, that goes that goes to show me that I think that's going to be the one two entering the year. 
I think we see Mitch Hanger leading off, Kai France bang second. And then it gets to Kyle Seeger, Kyle Lewis about fourth. Dylan Moore is going to be batting fifth or sixth, depending on what they do with Tom Murphy. Evan White will bat sixth or seventh, again, depending on Tom Murphy. I think Trammell has the inside track to playing right field over Fraley. So you'll see Trammell batting towards the bottom of the lineup. T.P. Crawford batting towards the bottom of the lineup as well. However, right now, Kyle Lewis has been held out for his fourth straight game. Apparently, he they, they're not saying it's serious. They keep calling it minor, precautionary even. But his recovery has been slower than expected so far. And as of right now, nothing serious has been said. And he shouldn't miss opening day, Kyle Lewis, that is. But if he does, Taylor Trammell will probably break camp as the center fielder, giving Drake Drake Fraley more playing time in left as Kalenic, or Kelnix, excuse me, gets more seasoning in the minors or alt camp work, you know, because that's what he needs. That's obviously sarcasm. It's ridiculous. Kelnix should be breaking camp with this team. But... What are you gonna do? They're gaming the system. Congratulations, Mariners. You suck. Um, home stretch. The Rangers, the final team of the 30. Yeah. Uh, this team is interesting. Not exactly sure what to expect. I think Isaiah Isaiah Kiner for left is gonna lead off. David Dahl is gonna bat second. And then after that, it just gets interesting. Against lefties, you'll see Nick Solak move up to th- to fourth or th- third or second like he'll hit towards the top of that lineup against lefties because they've shown moving up against lefties moving down against righties he's never hit lower than six i believe this spring so that's where he should probably stick entering the year gal is gonna bat third though most of the time but who's gonna bat fourth that's tough to say i've seen rugno door bat fourth i've seen again we mentioned so like we saw we've seen ronald guzman hit really well this spring does he get a chance to hit cleanup kind of i, I don't know it's i mean because they, they nate lau nate lau nate low Nate Lowe hasn't done anything to deserve the playing time, to be honest. So, you know, he's not, not only is he not playing, um, not only is he not going to probably play every day at first base to start, he's also not going to be batting him in the lineup. Is there even a chance he hits the bench to start? Possibly. I, I just don't know what to do with Nate Lowe. I'm not sure if he's a DH guy. He's not a guy I'm drafting at all. I'm letting everybody else have him. I, I just don't, maybe the Rays knew this was kind of what to expect. So that's why they traded him. Who knows? I thought it was going to be free Nate Lowe season. And honestly, it's been a void Nate Lowe season for me. And that's that pains me to say. It really does. Trevino should be the catcher for what it's worth. I think Jonah Heim will get plenty of reps, though. May, maybe even take the spot. So Jonah Heim's the guy I'm getting in the deepest of leagues as my backup, like reserve round catcher for my two catcher leagues and DCs and stuff. I'm getting a lot of getting a lot of um, Heim. But yeah, like I said, Brock Holt, he's a thing. He's, he's very much a thing. He's been... Playing pretty often, uh, pretty more, uh, pretty often of late, probably to get some reps because they want to see what they have there. He hasn't really done much to like, like to really stand out. He has three stolen bases though, so if he can find his way into the into playing time. Brock Holt could be relevant because the Rangers were one of the better teams in terms of stolen bases last year. They like to steal bases a lot, and you got to think that they're going to bring that same type of concept into 2021, where they are going to be a team that's probably going to need to run again to manufacture runs. So Brock Holt. Showing that he's willing to run in spring, they're allowing him to run in spring. Three stone bases hasn't been caught a single time. That's a good thing. We want to see. We want stone bases. This is an AL only type of play, but honestly, you could probably get him in the 50th round of your DC, maybe the 49th. Now that I've mentioned them, but I'm in one final DC. Doubt there's much of those happening right now, unless they're express DCs. In which case, again, grab Holtz late. I think there's a path to playing time there. Especially again, especially while Nate Lowe is struggling because Nate Lowe could just find himself in and out of the lineup. You see Brock Holt 
hope bouncing around, give me some eligibility, some help on the roster that that direction. I don't know. It's he's like a scrappy player, man. I, I just root for Brock Holt. I think what is what it is. Eli White is sneaky too. I mean, we've heard you know the rumors of White possibly taking over for uh, for Caveras. He's outplayed him this spring, showing a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, bat, good batting average, just out straight up outplaying Tavares. So maybe Tavares's leash is a little shorter. Maybe Eli White gets some looks to see what they have there before they give up on him. Just something to monitor. I think Tavares is still the starter, but he's not going to. He's going to be batting ninth anyway in that lineup. He's not going to be batting first. IKF is taking over that spot and running with it. Dahl's taking the second spot and pretty much running with it. Then you have Gallo, and again, then it gets kind of murky in the middle after Gallo. We know the top three, and after that, it's like throw names at a board and hope something sticks, right? Unfortunately, the Rangers, just that's what they are. I, I, I've, I've been trying to be optimistic. I've been trying to find things to like, and it's just hard to, so I'm not going to force it. But that's going to do it. We went through all 30 teams right before the draft, a draft, night, draft night, draft weekend, it's like crazy busy weekend. I know I'm hoping this podcast really helps you because I touch on a lot of names that a lot of you guys playing in, the, in deeper leagues are going to obviously want to know about, talk about, and maybe target now. I Again, the lineup stuff has been tremendously successful this offseason. I've been so surprised and very, very thankful for the reception of all this content. Thank you so much for the continued you know support. In season, we're, we're transitioning to in season now. In season, these podcasts are going to be coming once a week. Right, probably just like tonight, Friday night, Saturday morning, Sunday morning, you'll get them before Fab. This week, I wanted to get it out before draft season and Fab because we do a Fab this weekend. I wanted to, this podcast has worked around that, talking about movers up and down lineups, talking about hot streaks, cold streaks, guys to just target. I'm going to start incorporating who to target on Fab every week in this podcast as well because now that we're going into season today, I just wanted to go through I, I, every week. I won't have to talk about every team because every week there won't be something to talk about on every team. So that's why I'm going to incorporate more waiver wire talk, more fab targets and such and such uh, every week in this podcast, as we get away from having so much to monitor. But again, I appreciate the support. Check me out on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. If you haven't checked out the spring training lap tracker, you can find it on my page. It's pinned. It's going to be ending in spring training. But the content won't. I do a weekly article, which you can check out on rotoballer.com. Or again, just follow me on Twitter. You'll see it. I post it every week. It's pretty much taking this podcast and putting it on paper, giving you something to physically have in your hands or on your computer screen, I should say, and be able to look at that info and make the moves necessary because it's essentially going to be giving you like numbers and everything I say out loud on paper. I appreciate it again. I really do. It's been tremendous seeing the reception, everything I'm doing. I just can't thank you guys enough. All of you, everybody. It's been just incredible. So appreciate listening as always. And we'll talk next week.